there's two ways that you can look at this market. You can look at it and say, oh my gosh, the world is ending, which it's easy to fall in that trap. And some days I feel that way. Um, or you can look at it as a great opportunity. And the more you can lean into the latter, the better chance you're going to have of succeeding. And so I, I lean into that space, which is, all right, what's the opportunity here? And what I'm finding is that all of a sudden I've become extremely more valuable to my clients than I was the past four years. Welcome to the Grid Investor Podcast, a podcast about real estate entrepreneurs, visionaries, and the stories behind the legacies they're creating. I'm your host, Rob Chavez, and on today's episode, I've got David T. Robinson from Salt Lake City, Utah. Now, David is the founder of Canova Real Estate Group, a boutique brokerage that focuses on multifamily apartment buildings in Utah. David is a true real estate agent investor. He discovered the power of both his agent business and syndicating deals to help him build wealth in this process. So if you're an agent that's trying to figure out where you fit in the world of real estate investing, then this episode is for you. David has a unique journey that I think is going to add a lot of perspective to agents that have their license but are thinking that they want to lean more towards the investment side. Hope you enjoy. Gridiverse, what is going on? Today, I've got David T. Robinson with us from Salt Lake City, right? Utah. Yeah. And uh, I'm excited because as David and I have been getting to know each other a little bit, like our, our paths are very similar. He doesn't know this, but our paths are very similar. And so, um, David, welcome to the Grid Podcast. I call it the Gridiverse, right? Love it. Well, I'm welcome to be inside of your uh, Gritiverse and uh, excited for our conversation today, Rob. Cool, man. Hey, so what I like to do is is unpack a little bit about you and uh, and kind of go back in time and learn a little bit about your journey. But let's let's kind of let's tell everybody what you do right now, and then we're going to go back in time uh, because it'll probably reveal why you do what you do right now, right? So. Um, you you currently have your own brokerage, right? You're an independent broker, and you and you help the uh, really the investor that's looking to build passive income through small multifamily, right? Uh, but fill fill in the blanks, right? Tell yeah. everybody what you do in, in particular. Yeah, uh, at a high level, there's two aspects to my business. Uh, the first piece is our brokerage business here locally in Utah, across the greater Salt, Salt Lake City market. Um, we serve, we're a small boutique brokerage that specializes in small-scale multifamily property. Uh, we serve clients that are looking to buy small-scale multifamily property for their own personal portfolios. And by small-scale, I'm referring to anything roughly $5 million all the way down to your typical duplex and fourplex. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. So we help clients buy and sell that product for their own personal portfolios. Uh, and then about two years ago, um, we were really trying to solve a problem for our investors. Uh, I would jump on calls with investor after investor, and many of them uh, wanted to buy that small multifamily apartment building for their own personal portfolio. Many others who thought they wanted to own that fourplex, that eightplex, that duplex, after getting into the nuts and bolts of what it really looks like to own that, realized, my goodness, I actually have no interest in owning that building. <laughs> I would much rather, they would basically say, David, can I just give you money and we can go partner on a deal and you can help me go buy that and we can just own it together. And uh, so that was one of the conversations that led me down this other path. 
the other piece was that I had many investors that really loved owning real estate here in Utah, but they wanted to get outside of Utah for a handful of reasons. One of those being diversification. The other being they wanted a better blend of both cash flow and appreciation. Uh, Utah is a very high growth market, especially the Salt Lake City market, uh, lean on cash flow. Uh, and so they wanted to participate in better cash flowing opportunities. And so I set out to explore what it would look like to invest outside of Utah and how I could help my investors do that. And ultimately was exposed to this, uh, this model of syndication where private investors can invest relatively small amounts of money you know, anywhere between $50,000 to $100,000 uh, into large commercial grade multifamily assets and own a small portion of that building and be completely passive. And so ultimately they can get all the benefits they were looking for, diversification, um, better cash flow, a better blendable cash flow and appreciation, and they can be passive. So that's when I set out uh, to really get involved in that world. And in the last 18 months, uh, I've, uh, you know, been, a, been a part of, of buying five different assets, uh, awesome. $75 million worth of real estate in multiple markets across the country. Dude, that's great. So we're going to, we're going to come back to that, right? Great. I want to unpack that a little bit. So let's go back in time. I mean, how, why did you even get into this in the first place? Like how did that start? How did that journey start? Like later get into the syndication. Hey, David, you froze a bit. Did I lose you? Yeah, that's okay. We'll edit that. Oh, yeah. yeah, happens to me. Okay, so, um, yeah. So, so how are you asking Are you asking about how I got into the real estate business uh, 18 years ago? Or how did you, yeah. So, what? I, actually, what I want to know is how did you kind of go into this investment brokerage part of your phase, mm -hmm. right? Like, how did that come about, right? Gotcha. Um, and because I think that is an interesting journey. Like you said a couple of things before we jumped on that I was like, yep, I totally, totally get that. Right. So kind of walk me through that. Yeah. Happy to. Um, so I, my background, uh, you know, I've been a broker for 18 years. The vast majority of that time it has been in the residential space, uh, you know, managing sales teams and uh, uh, managing a, a national franchise brokerage here locally in Utah. And uh, I, ha it really was a life event. Like I had some life events. My um, my dad uh, had had what was to be a pretty routine heart surgery. He was having a valve replacement. Uh, the surgery went great. Um, he came home and was recovering, but very quickly started to go downhill. Was in enormous pain. Come to find out, um, he uh, ambulance was called one night. He came, ultimately died, uh, and was revived in the ambulance on the way to the hospital. He had an infection from the surgery and went septic, and he was in ICU for weeks on end, and you know, completely unconscious, tubes all over the place. Really traumatic event for myself and and my family. Mm -hmm. And that moment really caused me to reflect on where I was, um, just from a professional career perspective, what I had accomplished in my life, and, and also financially. Where was I financially? And had I done what I needed to do to get my family set up? I, I'm married, I have four kids. Um, you know, 
had I done what I needed to do to really get them to a place where I wanted them to be? Mm-hmm. And the answer was no. Uh, even though I had been a broker for so long, um, I got caught in this trap of, uh, of you know, earning commissions and, oh, I'll buy the next deal. Oh, I'll buy the next deal. And just having my head down grinding on building out a sales team and, and managing agents and, you know, all that game. And I look back and I really hadn't done enough to have any legitimate amount of wealth or cash flow in my world. Yeah. And that was the moment in time that I said enough is enough. It wasn't an immediate shift, but that was the moment that shifted my mindset to, I need, I need to be an investor first and a broker second. And uh, that started me on the course of ultimately changing everything I was doing. And that meant shutting down my real estate sales team. Um, we were selling 100 to 150 homes a year. Um, as a small sales team, I, I basically shut that down, made a full transition to uh, the investment property world, which led me down this path of small scale multifamily and real estate syndication. Dude, that's brave. Right. I mean, you, you, uh, and, 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 and what I mean by that is so many people are scared to let the, the, the let go of one thing to get another thing. Right. And uh, you had been building that. I, I know how hard it is to build a team to do a hundred to 150 transactions a year. And then you just, you were like, you know what, I'm just going to kill that thing to go get another thing that, that I, I don't want to like let pass that gloss that over that, that was a brave thing to do. Because now you're actually going into a completely new thing. Yeah. That that while you probably had skill sets that were good for that, um, what led you to believe that that was ultimately? Did you did you actually model that out and say, you know what? Like I know my model, and I'm. <laughs> it was a journey. It was a journey. I so that moment with my dad and that time of reflection, I knew I needed to change. I didn't know exactly how to how to go about it. I reached out to a handful of different mentors. I explored many different paths. I explored getting out of the industry completely and partnering with a friend in the tech business. Mm-hmm. I uh, explored getting in tra- into commercial real estate, just traditional commercial real estate. Um, ultimately, I had a lunch with a friend, a mentor, who uh, had done very, very well in in the investment property world, in particular multifamily, small-scale multi. And he just said, David, you're geared for this work. And this will put you in closer proximity to what you're trying to accomplish long term. Um, Go for it. And you're totally capable. And that moment in time, that that lunch meeting was what sort of spurred me to go down this investment property direction, explore it further. I realized, my goodness, I wish I had been doing this all along because my behavior is I'm a very operational type person, right? Uh, I, I, I actually didn't sell of those, you know, hundred to 150 homes. I didn't sell any of those. I was behind the scenes, leading, managing the sales team on the marketing, the operations side, all that, you know, how that goes. You're Mm -hmm. familiar Mm -hmm. with that world. Um, I was always fighting an uphill battle in traditional residential. When I moved into the investment property world, all of a sudden my mind was opened up like, oh my goodness, this is, this is what I should have been doing this entire time. And uh, so that, that, I don't know if that answers your question, but that launch and this process of just trying to evaluate and exploring different paths and ultimately 
feeling like this was the right path to go down and then just attacking. Let me ask you, you had, you had, you know, that time with your dad, how was your dad now, by the way? Right. He, yep. Okay. Good health. Yep. Everything's going good. Thank awesome. You. And you know, that, that, that it does, it reframes you. Like a lot of people got reframed during COVID. Some people get reframed because of uh, a family member getting sick or passing away or, or, or sometimes like, you know, the 2007, 2008, a lot of people got punched in the face and then they had to reinvent themselves, right? And go through fixing themselves financially. As a real estate entrepreneur, did you ever go through any crazy financial, I got to get myself out of this thing, you know, as well? Or was it really just just your your dad was kind of like the wake up call, right? It wasn't, uh, I was, I've always been comfortable financially, um, uh, earned a, a, you know, good income, but here's the deal. Even when you're selling, I always struggled to really make the team model profitable. Mm-hmm. Um, you're in this world, you know, it. there's so many team builders and team owners that struggle with profitability. So even though you're doing, you know, a, a million dollars in gross commission income per year, what part of that are you actually taking to the bottom line? Mm-hmm. And even though it was comfortable, it wasn't putting me on the trajectory to where I needed sure. to be. So I was never in some dire financial straight, uh, you know, place by any means, but I absolutely wasn't living up to the standard that I'd set for myself uh, and what I wanted to accomplish for my kids. Like, my parents gave me an amazing upbringing, lower middle class family, you know, self-employed background, but I wanted to build on that. And I want to set my family up for, uh, you know, another level of- how, how old are your kids? How old are your kids now? My oldest is uh, 17. Growing up fast, man. Yeah, 17 down to six, 17 down to six. Okay. So, you know, and part part of that, you know, I interview a lot of uh, investors or agents that became investors that that they got whacked because they went into like development deals that they didn't mm-hmm. fully understand. And the timing either changed or they didn't have the right financial acumen at the time. They were good at selling, but they weren't good at the, the business money piece. Mm-hmm. You know, for you, you understood that like the sales arm, the sales machine can generate cash. But if you're not careful, you could spend 10, 15, 20 years doing that and then wake up one day and be like, dude, what do I, what I, what did I, what do I actually have? Right. That's exactly and, right. And I call that the awakened agent. Like I just kind of named like the, the awakened agent, the, the agent that wakes up one day and says, you know what, there's, there's a different way, a different path, right? You could take this brokerage side, generate the cash, but really the purpose is to buy assets over time. Right. And it sounds like you got you got that. Right. Um, but you moved into the small commercial, small, multi, like so so small multi. And and I'm, I'm curious, like, how did why? Why did you move into the small multi? Right. Um, in the back of my mind, I knew large commercial multifamily was where I wanted to be long term. I had determined that uh, after you know spending some time educating myself about how these deals are put together the how lucrative they can be, you know, um, the scalability of them all, how you're working with partners versus just, you know, doing a deal on your own. So I knew that that was where I needed, uh, wanted to be long term. 
Um, that being said, going from residential agent to owning, operating, buying large scale commercial multifamily was a massive jump that my brain couldn't, yeah. couldn't bridge that gap. Right. Yeah. But what I could do was make a, a, an adjacent shift, which yeah. was small multifamily, small scale multifamily put me in the realm and in the direction that I wanted to go, but wasn't so far away from what I was currently doing that I wouldn't be able to get traction quickly. I love that. I love that. It's like know thyself. And it, it, that's a, a true, honest answer, right? Yeah. I love it. Okay. So, so you, you, um, you were part of KW, you left, you started your own independent brokerage, right? Uh, yeah. To do this because uh, you were part of said KW commercial. Were you part of KW commercial for some for, Yeah. For a moment, that was all part of the, the process. The journey. Uh, it was, okay. you know, you got to think it, it wasn't a lights off moment. Everything's okay. gone shift completely. It's, it's this process of, I had people on my team that I cared about. I needed to figure out a way to get them in a, in a place where they needed to be to go accomplish their goals because they weren't right for where I was going. Yeah. Yeah. And so that took some time. And so it meant me managing the team while also getting into this investment property world, which uh, was the reason why I was part of KW commercial as well as, you know, running my sales team at the same time. Got it. So what was the biggest challenge in the beginning? Right. Cause you're making this, the, the transition was small, but I imagine it wasn't uh, an easy transition, right? Like there was hiccups. All so what was the biggest challenge as you made that transition? It was, there was a time of chaos of sales team with agents, administrative staff that I was trying to still lead and make sure that they were taken care of and that they were achieving their goals and that they had a, they had a path forward for themselves while also trying to carve out this new path for myself, which involved getting involved in commercial and also I mean, uh, another aspect of it was going on this faith journey uh, in my own personal life and world. And so there was this this time of just chaos in my life about seven years ago that just required uh, a lot of stressful times and and a lot of long days and and nights. And uh, it was just working through that. So that was probably the biggest challenge. And now it's sort of in the background and in hindsight, and it's like, oh, you know, yeah, we just sort of worked through it. But yeah, that's just part of the journey, right? But yeah. if you go back in time, you know, I yeah, I would imagine yeah. there, there were sleepless nights and, yeah. you know. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, another piece was just um, rebranding everything. Man, yes. taking on a whole different world. and taking although, on a new Taking on a new identity. That's exactly right. Right. Yes. Which is a big deal. Like you're letting go of an old identity for new identity. That's yes. And repositioning myself in the market, you know, and really trying to find the right um, the right balance of my skill set and my knowledge with the offering and having confidence in that offering to potential clients. You know, yeah. Yeah. So that, that, that was probably the biggest challenge. I mean, uh there's probably some very detailed pieces of that that we could go into, but the reality is like, it was just a lot of chaos, a lot of work and um, a lot of stress, but on the tail end of that, it, it was necessary. Like I had hit that moment in my time, the agent awakening. That's like, mm -hmm. look, the, no more. 
Mm-hmm. No more. Mm-hmm. Something's mm-hmm. got to change. You know, and, and it's interesting because uh, I'm so passionate about that to get to get agents to like wake up. Um, and it was interesting because I, I don't know if I've actually verbalized this out loud. I think maybe I've, I've privately said it to some people, right? But you know, my journey was investment, like I business owner, recruiter, right? Uh, owned a technical staff, uh, a technical sales placement firm with my best friend, seven years. I've been buying um, single family properties, townhouses, part time, and then I decided I was going to be an investor. I was going to like give up this agent, I mean, this uh, recruiting business, right, to go be an investor. And I didn't have a system. I didn't have a model. I didn't have a playbook. I didn't have anything. Right? I was just like a feeling. I was like, I need to get off this transaction treadmill of recruiting because it's the same business, fee for service, right? You make a placement and then it's like, great, you're only as good as your last 30 days. And I was like, that sucks. There's got to be a different way, right? And and so I went on this investment, buying small multifamily, and then selling those to investors turnkey, keeping some myself, and then doing property management with my wife. And so we were kind of like an all-in-one solution. Um, and we were doing it hours away from where we lived. Uh, and um, and it was in a sub-market. It was low dollar. And so we learned a lot. I call that like, that was like my real estate MBA, like learning the investment game, right? We learned a lot at the kitchen table, you know, you're dealing with, and, 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 you know, all the D's like drugs, death, divorce, debt, right? Like all that stuff and a uh, uh, great training ground. But, but I was also taking on a lot of risk because I was buying a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Taking on a lot of risk. And my, my baby girl was, she was a little, she's 20 now, but she was young uh, at the time. And, um, for not a lot of profit because each one of these deals was pretty small, like because of the dollar value of the market that we're in. And I remember 2007 selling a, a house, like I didn't, and I got my license purely as like to get referral fees. Right. right? And um, I remember helping a friend of mine that was in trouble. The market was sliding and I just listed the property for him. It was 1.7 million was like my first listing. Right. I made really good money on it. I was like, wow, I made a lot of money in my market, not two hours away, as a broker. Mm-hmm. And what it did was it got me right back into that transaction mm-hmm. kind of game. And I was good at it. That was the other mm-hmm. thing, right? I was good at that game. And then for the next 10 years, I went on this journey of building a team. And mm-hmm. I didn't buy as much as I had bought 10 years prior, right? Like I'd been buying and accumulating. I bought a lot in. 2008 when the market was low but i went on this journey of building team right and i woke up 10 years into building that team and being like i've learned how to run a business right Mm -hmm. this is good like you you learn and we started expanding the team and i was more like you more of an operator i I became i was more of an operator Mm -hmm. Um, uh, so i i had extracted myself from the day-to-day sales uh, right um but i remember waking up saying I haven't bought as much as I should have bought, mm-hmm. right? And, um, and part of it was in 2013, 2014, I thought everything was overpriced because yeah. I had bought so much at, at pretty That's low prices, right? Yeah. yeah. And so um, so this is a cautionary tale, right? 
what I, and I think both of us are giving this cautionary tale is that as you build, if you're an agent listening to this, as you build your, your agent business, you absolutely have to be converting that earned income into assets. And you, you can't completely put the blinders on and uh, grind all the time. You literally need to give yourself some, some space, whether it's like a Friday or Saturday and say, this is my wealth building space and I'm going to buy assets and I'm the client. Mm-hmm. I'm the client, right? Right. And um, and that's not easy for people to do because you're putting everybody else first, right? As an agent, you put everybody else first, right? And and um, and so it's hard for people to make that that transition. But but I think if we get the word out there more often than not, then we we cast some people that that can, can become more awakened sooner, faster. And I would I would add to that. There's a a great appeal in the real estate agent industry to build a sales team that is self-functioning, highly profitable, potentially even sellable. The reality is the number of teams to those that reach that level are, uh, I, I don't know a number, but I would venture to guess that it's minute, you know? It's hard. It's a hard, it's hard. And right? so, and so it doesn't mean that it can't be done. And there's some people that are absolutely geared to going that direction. I fought that battle for a very long time and I neglected the investing side. So I think Gary Keller talks about this all the time. Like, look, you, you've got two paths to really becoming extremely wealthy. It's building a business that's sellable and or investing. Yeah. And why not do both? If you can. I agree. And you know what's really interesting? Gary said something the other day. Um, uh, I, you know, I was in this mastermind with him, and, and he said, uh, the biggest return I've ever gotten has been in starting businesses, right? Um, his return on his businesses and relationships, because he's really good at that, right? It's like his superpower, picking the right who's, setting up the framework, letting them run that business. You know, he's like, my returns on that has, has been ridiculous. He's like, but I've made really good returns owning real estate to, as, sure. as well, right? And and not everybody wants to go through that leadership journey. I think that's a leadership journey to, to become like really good at understanding how to, you know, uh, not just learn how to sell real estate, but become a leader that other people right. want to follow and that you can inspire. And and that's a different skill set. And some people Absolutely. just realize, you know what? Um it's either not worth it or I don't want to do it or I'm not good at it or whatever. Right? So going back to know thyself, what do you want? Right. Yeah. And, uh, and if people aren't careful, they, and I talk, by the way, I talk to agents all the time that, that are like that. Like they're like, I should have bought more sooner. Right. Right. So that said, um, let's just banter a little bit back and forth on this interest rates, right? 7%, um, investment, real estate pricing, like what, what are you doing right now, David? You know, as a as a business owner, broker, owner, right? To to maybe shift your business or your thinking or strategically, how are you maneuvering in this market? Uh, a couple things. So first and foremost, there's two ways that you can look at this market. You can look at it and say, "Oh my gosh, the world is ending," which it's easy to fall in that trap. And some days I feel that way. Um, or you can look at it as a great opportunity. 
And the more you can lean into the latter, the better chance you're going to have of succeeding. And so I, I lean into that space, which is, all right, what's the opportunity here? And what I'm finding is that all of a sudden I've become extremely more valuable to my clients yes. than I was the past four years, you know? And uh, you've been in the business long enough to go through the recession. Uh, I think, yeah, uh, I went through it. Um, luckily, I was positioned very well to, to take advantage of the, the short sell market and, and had a lot. But I provided a ton of value to a lot of people during that recessionary time. Me too. Now, the same opportunity is presenting itself. Now, all of a sudden, I'm having more and more people reach out to me saying, hey, David, can we get on a call to just sort of talk about my investment portfolio, what it looks like. Should I be repositioning some equity that I currently have? Should I be, uh, should I sell off uh, one or two of these underperforming assets and just be a little bit more cash heavy? Uh, what should be my strategy? And all of a sudden that's presenting opportunities. So um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say, David, yeah. So what you've done, and it's, a, it's something that, that I think any agent should be thinking about becoming for their clients is a uh, real estate financial advisor right? You are a real estate financial advisor for your client. Sure, you can help somebody sell a house or buy a house. But ultimately, if you've been in the business long enough, what you want to do is help these families build wealth, right? As you build wealth, as you go on that journey. And so I hear you saying that. That makes a lot of sense to me. Um, are, how are you getting that message out to your database, to your sphere? What, do you, what are you doing, right? Do you have a newsletter? Yeah. Do you have an investment group? Like, what do you do? Yeah, great question. So uh, on the brokerage level, um, really what we do uh, over the last four years, when I, when, I sh when I wound down the team, I had very few like legitimate investors in my database. Mm -hmm. So I rebuilt that from scratch through digital marketing, cold calling, um, uh, you know, direct mail, all the sort of traditional methods, right? Mm -hmm. And I built up a pretty substantial investor network, uh, like-minded investors who are interested in buying multifamily property. Cool thing about that is that those people are always interested to hear from me as long yes. as I'm providing value. What I hated about the residential space was I was constantly sending stuff that it felt like, ah, I just was trying to get in front of them instead of actually providing value to them. And I know that there's people that do a great job of that, but that, but now I'm in a place where I can provide value on a daily basis. So what I do is uh, uh, at least in the past, uh, and we've ramped up our communication to weekly at this point, but in the past it was a monthly newsletter and then deal alerts. So we do a lot of off-market business. Mm -hmm. uh, in the multifamily space, you, that happens a lot more than, mm -hmm. than in the residential space. So um, you know, we're constantly out there uh, connecting with property owners who want to sell. And we put deals together between the seller and members of our investor network. So that's the main value driver that we have in our business is connecting our investor network with good opportunities. So um, that uh, we just ramped that up. We've increased the volume and the cadence and the delivery. So literally, if I go into my email campaigns, I believe I've sent out 10, 10 emails to my database in the last 14 days. Good for you. Good for you. Yeah. When, when, when there is uncertainty in the market, more uh, from trusted advisors is welcomed, right? Like, especially giving advice on like what you see other people doing. I know, um, I know you have a podcast, right? Tell me about the podcast, because I would imagine that that's a big value add that a lot of your investors could be linked to that learning from that. 
Yeah. So um, the the podcast is uh, originally started when I made this transition, and the podcast was originally named the Apartment Investing Journey. Mm-hmm. I was going on my own personal journey. I was documenting that. I was also interviewing other uh, investors in the space. Um, it's since transitioned to the Lead Sponsor Podcast, where we interview large commercial multifamily investors who have acquired at least a hundred million dollars of real estate. And so that podcast allows me an opportunity to provide my investor network with a lot of great content from really impressive people. So that is part of uh, the content that we deliver to our investor network um, is uh, snippets or full uh, uh, or the full episode of those interviews. And those are on a weekly basis. So uh, that's what the podcast is all about. But if we're talking to investors, like if you and I are are trying to add value to the investors that are listening to this right now, um, I think one of the biggest things that they can begin to look at is return on equity. I think it's the number one metric that investors overlook at this point in time. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll get on calls with investors and I'll ask them about their portfolio. And a lot of my investors are, you know, uh, private investors. They, they've bought a couple townhomes here and there. Maybe they house hacked a deal when they were first getting started. They still own it 10 years later, you know, or they've, you know, bought some small commercial multifamily. And I ask them how the the properties are performing. And the answer is almost always, if they bought anything in the last 10 years, fantastic, you know, crushing it. Um, and they're looking at their cash on cash return, which is phenomenal over time, right? Especially in a high growth market. Well, what they aren't really taking into account is the amount of equity that's tied up in that property. And how is that equity performing? And what would happen if you were to uh, reposition that equity into something else? And so I think that's what a lot of investors should be looking at right now is what's my return on equity and what should I do to maximize that? Yeah, that that's certainly been on my mind, right? I had, uh, you, I'm sure you're familiar with the name Linda McKissick, right? Linda and Jim McKissick. And, and, and they were, you know, Linda was talking about um, how they were always leveraging within their safe zone, Mm -hmm. right? That the equity that they had to go buy more, more property. And, you know, and I was transparent with them for a long time. I was just kind of like uh, that chicken little, like I did, I, I liked all my assets paid up, you know, like all those things in 2008, they're all paid for, right? I, I think I have two left that are not paid for. And uh, I bought them with a partner and my partner was like, listen, this is great. We make good cash flow for this. But he's like, if we, and so let's, let's give people some strategies, right? I'll give you a strategy. He's like, if, and he's a hard money lender, right? Mm-hmm. He's like, if we just get a line against that, uh, against that, those assets, right? And we, it's a safe line. You know, uh, we, we've we've got uh, several million dollars in there. Let's just say we just get a line for like two million dollars, right? And we're lending that line out at like twelve and two points, right? Uh, because obviously interest rates are going up and everything's going to go. He's like, we can we can turn that cash, we could double that cash flow, right? Mm-hmm. With already just tapping into the network that you have and that you know, and like you've got somebody that can help underwrite those deals and. All the rest. I'm like, let's do it, right? So, so that's how we're going to deploy some of that or, or uh, maximize the equity that we have in some of those assets, right? But what other strategies are you are you kind of advising your clients, right? Well, um, it depends. It's all uh, situational. 
So I'll have a client, uh, for example, uh, we just barely listed a couple uh, small multi uh, property this week. Uh, that particular client has just seen some dramatic gains over the last four years of ownership in both of those properties. And he's starting a business mm. in the middle of all this chaos. But mm. uh, the business has some track record already. And it, he sees the trajectory of what's happening there. And so it makes complete sense for him to harvest all the gains that he's achieved in those properties in the last four years and go and deploy it against something where he's betting on himself and a business that already has a track record of success. Okay. So that's that's just one example. I have another sure. client that's out of state. Uh, they own a fourplex here. Um, they've owned it for two years and they've gained about 30% in equity. Um, she's just in a place where like, hey, do I want to own this thing out of state, out of market for the next five years? Because who knows what this is going to look like moving forward. Hmm. For her, it makes more sense to harvest those gains and reposition that equity into something that's a little bit more closer to her and mm -hmm. is less uh, management intensive. Mm -hmm. Okay, mm -hmm. So it's, mm -hmm. it's really, there's no right or wrong answer in this market. I think it's being conservative. Uh, you know, that's, yeah, I think a lot of it, what's really cool is a lot of it, David, depends on like, yeah, like you said, like what's the life event? Are they, you know, are they, are they downsizing, right? Like they're, they're, there's probably, there's a lot of investors that they're kind of aging out and they have a lot of properties and they're trying to figure out, do I 1031 these into better grade assets or do I put them into a DST, you know, so that I don't have to de deal with anything. Um, so it really comes down to being like a great advisor, I would imagine, right? Do you have a system for that? I'm curious, right? Like when you sit down with somebody or is it just asking good questions? Like, you know, just like any advisor would be. Yeah, I don't know that I necessarily push a client in any one direction or any one strategy. It's really just trying to take a holistic approach about, okay, what does your situation look like? What are you trying to accomplish from a real estate perspective over the next five to 10 years? And how can we best help you and, and take care of you uh, depending upon those goals? Um, you know, a big part of my business has become the syndication side, right? Mm -hmm. Where a lot of these investors, whether they be new investors, so there's really two sort of avatars that I work with that want to get involved in the syndication side. Um, it's the, the investor that is a busy professional business owner, um, uh, you know, corporate sales executive, you know, these people that love what they're doing from a W2 perspective or even a small business perspective, they have no interest in taking away time, energy and effort from that world, but they know they want to invest in real estate. Well, those people are perfect for passively investing in syndications. And so it doesn't make sense for them to go and invest in a fourplex that they're going to have to have some management involvement in when they can just deploy that, maybe take a little bit lower return and be completely passive in commercial grade real estate and highly diversified. Mm -hmm. Well, so that's, that's avatar number one. Avatar number two is clients who have owned small multifamily or single family in the past have a, a good solid nest egg of equity built up and are now looking to deploy that or reposition that into something that they don't have to be active anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. and for them, you know, 1031 exchange or even just selling uh, and paying 
uh, the capital gains at the rate that they're currently at, deploying that into the next uh, opportunity, highly diversified and uh, with significant tax breaks on the back end of those deals. So those are the two people that we mainly work with. And that, that's a conversation we have with a lot of our investors on a daily basis. So tell me a little bit about the types of deals that you're syndicating right now. I'm just curious. Yeah. Uh, so over the last roughly 18 months or so, um, we've acquired five different assets. Um, they vary uh, mainly B and C quality, uh, commercial grade, uh, 100 units or more, although one was 72 units, 72 mm-hmm. units in uh, a couple in the Midwest. So a northeast suburb of Cleveland, Ohio, Kansas City, Missouri. Houston, Texas, Savannah, Georgia, and then here in Utah. Okay. And so these vary from size and acquisition uh, from, you know, uh, the 72 unit was a $6 million C-class value add deal that we have a long-term play on where it's, we go in, renovate the units, uh, increase rents, refinance in year three or four, and then a hold long-term with our investors. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and then others where like our Houston deal, uh, uh, the 324 unit uh, B, B area, C plus asset that we're turning into a B plus asset um, with a, a, a three year horizon. Like we're, we're tur- turning that thing, making a great uh, increase in NOI and we'll look to exit or refinance, but ideally an exit within the next three, three years or so. Are, are, you know, obviously these are out, out of your state. So do you, who's scouting these for you? Are you finding these? Are you scouting? Like how, how does that happen? Yeah. So going back to, I was, the reason why I got involved in syndications to solve a problem, right? So I, once I realized that a large portion of my investor network wanted to invest in real estate outside of Utah for many different reasons and wanted to be passive. So a lot of my investors wanted to be passive. That's when I set out to explore opportunities and how this would work. Uh, was exposed to the syndication model and realized I have no business trying to go and source an opportunity in Kansas City, Missouri mm-hmm. and trying to put that deal together. But what I can do is partner with experts in that market that are uh, very well versed, entrenched in their local market, have a track record of success are people that I want to do business with. So uh, to answer that question, I partner with quality operators or lead sponsors in their markets who have expertise in that area, track record of success. And then I partner with them and bring my investors into those opportunities through that network. Good. That's awesome. I love that. Right. Do you participate as I would imagine, you know, maybe we're getting a little technical right now, right? But Right, right. Let's 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 break it down. So, uh, so you're participating as a partner, and um, you're also probably making points or spiffs based on the amount of money that you're bringing in to to the syndication, or how how yeah, how have question. you guys how have you guys structured it? Yeah, great question. So the syndication uh, syndications are structured. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll just do a high level. Sure. There's really uh, two two investor types in a syndication. You have the limited partners or the passive investors. These are the individuals that are just putting in their fifty to one hundred to five hundred thousand dollars of equity with an expectation of return. They're completely passive. They're limited on their liability. I mean, they're just investing in the deal, right? Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. Then you have the general partners. Uh, these are the operators. These are me and my partners that are putting the whole deal together from sourcing the deal to writing the contract to putting the earnest money up to analyzing the deal, vetting the deal, doing the due diligence on the deal, bringing our attorneys in, bringing our contractors in, uh, a quite ultimately getting the debt, signing on the debt in some cases, mm -hmm. and then also bringing all the equity to the table. So bringing all of our investors from our network into the deal so that we have the, the equity. So that's the general partners. And each deal can be structured differently. Generally speaking, a very typical way that you see these deals structured is a 75-25 split um, and a, 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 a return structure to those passive investors. So the general partners get 25% of the deal and the passive investors get 75% of the deal. And usually these deals are spinning off anywhere between a five and a 9% uh, preferred return uh, along with a, we'll call it 15 to 20% IRR over a five-year hold period. Got it. Yeah. And so I, to answer your question more directly, I am a general partner. Mm -hmm. um, and then I also invest alongside my investors as a limited partner. So I have skin in the game in each of the deals. Got it. Yeah. And the, and the reason why I asked the question that way was because um, you're not sourcing the deal. You're probably not writing the contract. You're not managing the contractors, right? But you are the money. You're a money source to to that right? General partnership. Yeah. That's a big part of what I bring to the table. I don't get compensated for the amount of equity that I bring to the table. I get compensated as a member of the general partnership. So that's we, cool. we structure our deals. So for example, like our deal in Cleveland, I have three, uh, two other partners, myself and two other partners. We each bring different pieces to that deal and we have different percentages. Like in that deal, I, I have a 26% equity stake in the general partnership. Got it. Perfect. That's it. And each one is going to be slightly different depending on Absolutely. what you bring to the table and, and the more deals that you work with your partners. And yeah, but well, that's great. I mean, you know, there's so many, there's so much, there's so many different ways to bring value to one of these deals. Like mm -hmm. each of these deals to get the debt on these larger deals, you have to meet net worth and liquidity requirements by the lender. Um, well, if you have a big balance sheet, well, you can come in and be a part of a general partnership just by bringing your balance sheet to the table. Mm -hmm. Mm. You know, mm. and you can get a carve out of the general partnership because you're that person. Um, you can also uh, buy if you're an analytical and you're highly and well versed in underwriting commercial multifamily, you could bring that value to a general partnership. If you can, if you have a good investor network and you can bring equity to the table, that's value you're bringing to that general partnership. If you're on the construction management, the asset management side of things, the property management side of things. That's how these, that's why I was saying earlier, like, I love these deals because everybody's bringing, it's a team sport once you yeah. start in the commercial space like that. Yeah. Yeah. I see that. And essentially you build, what's really cool about the way you're syndicating it. And I'm going to speak, speak my expansion language now, right? You're uh, expanding a team across the country in multiple markets to build wealth as opposed to just turn transactions. Right. That's it. Yeah. Yep. And uh, and there's a lot of power in that. There's a lot of financial power in that. Well, and what's beautiful about it is that it's in high demand by by my investor network. Yeah. 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 They, they, yeah. No. The reason it, and this I try to tell everybody on my team. 
when you talk to somebody, you're like, I can help you build wealth. And here's a vehicle on how to do it. You know, there's very few people that could be like, you know what? I'm not interested in learning. I'm not interested in hearing about that, right? Like, you know, no, 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 no. Don't talk to me about building wealth. I, right. I don't want right. to build wealth, right? And so, and if you actually, you know, have done the right thing and you have a good reputation and you have a system and a model and resources and people and a network and, you know, it's like, okay, let, and let's. I, and I will say this, Rob, like it's not all sunshine and roses and, and money flowing from the trees. Like it's hard work. Yeah. And, it can be stressful at times. And these deals don't always go the way that you plan. Like you have this pro forma, but you're making some serious assumptions about how this deal is going to play out. And you've got to go execute on those assumptions. And you have not just one client to re report to, but <laughs> hundreds of clients to record to. So it, it, it's just scalable. And, uh, and so it's not, it's challenging. It's very yeah. challenging, but I love it. Yeah. I, I could, I could, uh, I could, I could see that, right? Um, especially, especially in a shifting market, right? If you're caught within the shift in in, yeah. in in the market, and then, and then you have to answer to 50 people or 60 people, right? Like, why don't we have a distribution, or why is That's there right. a capital call, right? Yeah. Those are hard calls. That's hard, right? Yeah, that's hard. Yeah, and luckily, I've partnered with a lot smarter people than myself with a lot more experience. Um, that's one thing I would say is that if anybody's interested in getting into this space, it's it's all about partnering with the right people. And and so I put a heavy, heavy load on uh, on really vetting my partners early on. Yeah. Um, and the podcast has helped me do that. To be honest, the podcast has been the conduit for me to build this network of great people. One hundred percent. I saw that early on. I'm like, oh, that that is such a natural extension, right? Yeah. You, you get the ability to build relationships with these people that you're, 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 you're future casting your future self in, right. By Absolutely. meeting them now and bringing them forward. So, yeah. but David, this has been awesome, man. This is so cool. <laughs> if, if people want to, we're, we're obviously going to put all your social media handles and all sure. the rest on here, but uh, what, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you? What do you prefer? Yeah, there's really two ways. Um, give everybody a, a free tool. I talked about the return on equity, so it's one of the ones that I like to give away. Sure. We've got, uh, we built a, uh, a quick little uh, calculator that allows you to calculate your return on equity. Uh, five minutes, you punch in your numbers, you can get it. And you can get that at returnonequity.com, returnonequity.com. Okay. Or just go and connect with me at canovocapital.com. That's C-A-N-O-V-O capital.com, canovocapital.com. Okay, so I got to ask you, I didn't ask you before, uh, yeah. where does the name Canovo come from? Yeah, so Canovo is a combination of, uh, it's basically derived from a Latin word, which means to change, to refresh and renew. Mm. That was what was going on in my life at the time. It was, <laughs> it was uh, you know, and it's a play on words where, look, I'm, uh, we're trying to change lives through real estate by refreshing and renewing, you know, commercial grade real estate assets. I love it, man. So cool. I was like, well, it's not his last name. Right. Yeah. And uh, and anyhow, I, I appreciate that. Right. Casa. Um, so ours is Casa. Right. And mm -hmm. everybody's like, well, what's Casa? Right. In Spanish, it means to hunt. Right. Mm -hmm. And we've we've. Uh, 
And so there was always a play when we first started the business, it was a play on words like Casa Properties was our investment business, which essentially means to hunt for properties, mm, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's since really transformed into the pursuit of, right? The pursuit of a better life, the wow. pursuit of, uh, you know, of of living just your biggest whatever it is that you want to live, right? So I've got to was, ask you, I was curious about grid. Uh, sure. What, yeah, uh, tell me about Grid. What, what's uh, well, Grid? Well, well, Grid. Well, Grid was started as a way to really kind of like my meet like-minded individuals, right? Mm. Um, I loved real estate investing. There was just something that always kind of pulled me to it, and I had attended a lot of RIAs in the past, and they were great. I, I learned a lot. They, they, they were wonderful, right? I met lots of really great people. I built relationships, but I always felt like I was left asking more questions by the end of it because they, they would just give you enough knowledge to make you dangerous and then say, and for $1,000, you can buy the books and tapes in the back of the room. And I was like, I, you know, I, 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 I need to connect the dots. And I remember after seven or eight years of being kind of like part-time and then doing it full-time, I was like, I'm going to create a network that just freely shares everything right? Mm -hmm. That I'm going to give you as much information as you, as, as I know, and, and introduce you to people that I know that are doing this at a higher level and, and bring my network into it. Because I realized that collaboration is what this business is all about. And I was more into the making deals. I was a deal maker. I wasn't like a, a, a go buy my books and tapes in the back of the room. Although there's nothing wrong with that. Like I'm all about content creation and letting people buy stuff and like, because then they have a vested interest in actually making it happen. Right. But but I wanted to create a safe space for people to ask questions and that we would collaborate. So that little group, my first community, was just me like a decade ago, right? Over a decade ago, just me pouring into people, talking shop like we're doing now about a specific topic. Like I, I remember asking myself, if I was a brand new investor, what would I need to know first? Mm-hmm. And then what would I need to know second? And then what would I need to know third? It kind of built out this framework so that you start with wholesaling, that concept, what is it? Why would you need to know it? All the way to being the bank, right? Mm. At the end, how, how are you? And everything kind of in, in between, talking about syndication, subject to lease options, like multifamily, all that stuff. And so that somebody would, you know, be able to feel like they understood the language, right? And that little group grew, you know, to, you know, a couple thousand people and then 3,000 people. And then I... And that was just my group. And then people started approaching me, asking me, this is great, but can you host this in another area? Mm. And I turned people down the first couple of times. And then I then I sat back and said, you know, how would I make this happen? And we looked at the CrossFit model. CrossFit mm. model essentially license, licenses a name, licenses a brand, a, a way of doing things, a framework, a thinking, a belief system, Right. And we said, okay, well, you know, we are go-givers. We want to come from contribution. We want to help the community build wealth. We're wealth builders. And we want, we want, we have this framework to allow people to understand how to do it. And, um, and then I had to find my right avatar to launch communities, right? Cause I was mm-hmm. like, well, who is the right avatar for it? And I honestly, David, I felt like the right avatar was that that agent investor that played both lines, like that real estate mm-hmm. entrepreneur, because they they had a big sphere of influence and they and they could impact their local community with wealth building. And it gave them the ability to talk to people about a different discussion, mm-hmm. right? Versus just like, do you want to buy or sell another house, right? Like that, there was the ability to have a different discussion. And then I was passionate about helping them on their, on their journey, right? Mm-hmm. So today, you know, we have 20,000 members, 
26 different communities. Uh, we really just kind of launched it right before COVID. And we're now, oh, wow. you know, we're going to all these. Now, I ran it my, I ran my own chapter for, for a decade, right? Mm-hmm. So I knew that it worked. Um, I know it works, right? Because I've just yeah. done it forever. I mean, you, your, your investment network is kind of like your, you know, your aggregating names, uh, which is what we do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but we pour into them every month. Yeah. in a setting and you know um dude when you when you help people get what they want you get what you want right mm-hmm. and so um so we we now just are expanding communities all over the globe really the the idea is to make it a global network of people like you right awesome. people people like me that that love this game um always felt like you know, I always felt like when I was an eight, like an, I, I run six different real estate traditional teams and mm-hmm. grid and construction and investment. But I always felt like I was more, I was like this odd person in my market center a little bit, right? I was that guy that was always kind of talking about investments and wealth building. And and there's a lot of us out there like that, right? Um, uh, within a market center, you might have three or four, right, mm-hmm. that, that are like that. Maybe one or two, right? And my job is to kind of connect all of us, right? And and give us a platform and a voice to be able to do it. And so that that's grid, right? In, in a nutshell, and it it uh, it's constantly evolving, constantly growing. That's and cool. I appreciate you coming on the podcast and pouring into us because, like I you said, it. It, the the group itself is made up of majority of just in like you have, like in any setting, right? Like uh, say I have a hundred people in that room. You're gonna have 20, 20 people in that uh, out of the hundred that that are active hardcore investors, right? Mm-hmm. And you're gonna have another eighty that are somewhere on that journey, right? right. And um, and it becomes a community, and the hardcore investors are pouring into the ones that are learning, and there's a symbiotic relationship between the two, right? Because yeah. like you said, that that engineer or that successful salesperson that just busy in their career, maybe they have money to fund a deal. Right. Right. And, uh, and that's what I love about this business is that it is literally a business where, you know, the hard money lender needs the rehabber and the rehabber needs the contractor and the contractor needs the agent and, you know, right. um, And the landlord needs the property manager. And it's like this awesome community uh, where there's collaboration and it's not so much competition. Right, it's collaboration. Right, that's awesome. Well, congrats on the success. Thanks, that's brother. Awesome. I appreciate it, and I, I'm looking forward to uh, to to listening to the podcast, your podcast, and um, and like always, man, make it a great day. You take care, David. You too. Thanks, Rob. Okay. Bye.